You know, this morning as uh, we think about this sermon, Five Foundations of a Healthy Family, you might think that I'm going to tell you things like, you know, cough into your arm, wash your hands a lot, drink plenty of orange juice, get lots of sleep, right? I mean, there's a lot of sickness going around. Uh, it's been in my house, and I know it's been in some of your houses. And so I, I thought about this message this morning. I thought, yeah, this really, maybe I ought to just say that and say, okay, let's go have lunch. We're done, folks. But as important as advice is to staying physically healthy, you know, our bodies eventually all are going to wear out, aren't they? I mean, physical health and well-being is of great use and value, but it's temporary. But what I want to share with you this morning are five foundations for building a spiritually healthy family. Because that will last for all of eternity. The choices that you make, the decisions you make, the things you do as a family today can have eternal repercussions. And so this morning, I just want to very briefly share with you from God's Word five foundational principles on which we can build healthy, Christ-centered homes. And the first of those is that healthy families put God first. Now, our New Testament reading this morning, um, you know, is one of those kind of hard readings of Jesus, one of those hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, But if we stop and think about what exactly uh, it is that Jesus is saying, it's really not as hard as it may seem. It's not hard to understand, that is, but it can be very difficult to actually live out what Jesus means. So let's look again at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. We just heard this read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, hearing Jesus say that we have to hate anybody, much less our family, that's a hard thing. But let's read on. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In this passage, Jesus is talking about counting the cost of what it means to follow Him. He's being honest and upfront with us. He's not pulling a fast one on us. He's letting us know right then and there that there is a cost to being a Christian. Now, naturally, we think of a cost for being a Christian. We think of our brothers and sisters in China or in some of the Muslim countries around the world who literally are risking their lives, their freedom, their reputation, yes, even their families in order to follow Jesus. There are places around the world where you do risk the alienation of your family if you name the name of Jesus Christ. But what about us as American Christians? What's the cost for us to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to hate our families in comparison 
to our love for Jesus? Well, it comes down to priorities. Is Jesus just one of many important people in your life? Or is Jesus the most important person in your life? Is spending time in God's Word and in prayer and worshiping with God's people and serving the Lord, are those just some of the important things in your life? Or are those the most important things in your life? To have healthy families, above all, God must be first. That's why God tested Abraham. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 22? Where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, the son that God had promised him and Sarah in their old age, the son through whom God said Abraham would become the father of many people. That was a hard thing for Abraham to hear. But he took Isaac up on that mountain. He was willing to sacrifice his son as a demonstration of his faith in God, that he trusted the Lord enough, even though it didn't make any sense to him, that somehow his son would be spared or would be risen from the dead. And God stopped Isaac and provided a substitute ram to sacrifice in his place. But Abraham demonstrated that God was going to be first in his life. Now, if Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son in order to show that God was first in his life, what does it say about us? When we can't even put down our smartphones long enough to read the Bible and pray. What does it say about us? when we can't put worshiping with God's people ahead of sports or heading up to the lake or going shopping or sleeping in. What's that say about us today? And don't think for a moment that where, that where you put God in your life and where you put God in your home doesn't impact the health of your family. Because it does. Just ask Linda K. Johnson. Now, you may be... You may be uh, asking yourself, who is, who is Linda K. Johnson? Well, she was the high school sweetheart and wife of former Dallas Cowboys and Miami Dolphins coach Jimmy Johnson. Now, by his own admission, Johnson, there was nothing more important to him than winning football games. That was it in his life. It was his obsession. He even viewed his marriage and his family as, an end, as a means to that end. You know, he, he knew when he was in college as a college coach, that he needed a wife to be able to take to some of the social events. And he he needed a family, he needed children, so he could show the parents of his players that their sons would be well taken care of under his coaching. But the day Johnson was named head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he calculated that he wasn't going to have any time for marriage anymore. And he discarded his wife of 26 years. Later on, he even said about his own sons that he never bought them a Christmas present or a birthday gift because he didn't have the time. And they honestly weren't a priority. He single-mindedly threw himself into his football team. And as far as football goes, he was a success. I don't think any of us could debate that. But as far as a husband, a father, a friend, he lost more than all the Super Bowl rings in the world could ever make up for. Now compare Jimmy Johnson to his predecessor, Tom Landry who I would say was a much more successful coach. He headed up the Dallas Cowboys for 29 years. Someone once asked Landry why he had been so successful as a football coach. His answer is 180 degrees the opposite of Johnson's philosophy. Listen to what Landry said. In 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. 
I determined my priorities for my life. God, family, then football. Whatever you put first in your life, everything else in your life will fall underneath it. And when that number one spot is filled by your pursuit for power, position, pleasure, possessions, when it's career, when that's number one, oftentimes the family gets sacrificed. But when God is in that number one spot, just as He demonstrated to Abraham, God is not going to ask you to sacrifice your children to Him. When we put God number one, that blesses our children, enables them to be a blessing to the world around them. Healthy families, first and foremost, put God first. Number two, and there are notes in your bulletin if you want to write these down, we're having problems with the computer. So can we not just turn it off and restart it? No? Okay. Uh, All right, so uh, healthy families, um, number two, provide for each other. There was a 19th century preacher that used to tell the story of two paddle boats. And these two paddle boats, they were, they were going down the Mississippi River together from Memphis to New Orleans. And uh, they kind of started talking smack back and forth to each other. One of, the, one of the paddle boats saw that the other one was lagging behind a little bit. Words were exchanged, challenges were made, and the race began. And so they began just hoofing it down the Mississippi River towards New Orleans. And they were keeping up neck and neck with each other. Well, all of a sudden, one of the steamboats there began to run out of fuel. So they had brought enough coal for the trip, but not enough for a race. And so one enterprising young sailor looked at the cargo and thought, I wonder how well this will burn. Took some of the cargo, threw it into the furnace. And it worked. And so they kept chugging the cargo into the furnace. And you know what? They won the race but they didn't have any of their cargo to deliver when they got to New Orleans. God has entrusted us with some precious cargo, has He not? Our our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our church, our witness. God has entrusted precious cargo to us. And our job is to do our part to see that it reaches its destination. Yet when our priorities are out of alignment... When God isn't number one in our lives, we easily find ourselves sacrificing our cargo for personal gain. And sadly, in this country, just statistically speaking, the number one victim, the number one cargo that we sacrifice the most is family. The United States leads the world in divorces. Number six. Number six in the world in terms of divorce. Almost 50% of all first-time marriages in this country end in divorce or separation. Marriage rates are declining. Half of Americans last year, ages 18 and older, were married. That's down 8% from 1990. And when people are getting married, they're getting married later in life, into their late 20s and early 30s and even beyond that. And statistics and studies show that some of the reasons for that are education, Career and finances. Fatherlessness is another huge problem in our country, leading to enormous increases in high school dropouts, gang activity, violence, crime, drugs, depression, suicide have all been linked to the lack of a father in the home. 
So yeah, we may be more economically prosperous today than ever as a country, but at what cost to our families? We may be more technologically connected and mobile and educated than ever before. Yeah, we're also more disconnected, distracted, and depressed than ever. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says to Timothy, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. According to Paul, we cannot separate our faith from our family. As much as God wants us and expects us to worship Him and to read His Word and to be witnesses for the Gospel, He expects us to provide for our families financially, spiritually, with our time and our presence. And moms and dads, especially us, by showing our children by example what it looks like when God is number one in our lives. As Tom Landry said, If we want to be successful in life, God has to come first, family second. The third foundation for healthy families is that healthy families regularly talk about God. They regularly talk about God. Now, people here at First Baptist Church have heard the name Steve Parr before. Uh, His book, Why They Stay. Uh, We even had him here last spring to talk about the common traits among families whose children stay involved in church and in the faith after they graduate from high school. As you probably have heard before, there's a, a, an epidemic, and it's, a, it's an alarming problem how many young people walk away from church, walk away from the Christian faith after high school graduation. But what he wanted to look at is what are the common traits of those children who don't walk away? And one of the correlations they found, among many, was they came from homes where they regularly talked about God where the Bible was a part of daily conversation. I'm not just talking about the occasional, what did you talk about in Sunday school today? Or quoting a Bible verse when you're getting on to your kid. I'm not talking about just a prayer at a meal or reading Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Day. I'm talking about daily dialogue. Discipling your children. What Proverbs calls bringing them up, training them up in the way that they should go. And your family... If Jesus and the Bible are relegated to a few hours on Sunday and Wednesday at a church building, what does that say to your children about how important those things are? About how true they are? Think about this. How often does the topic of school, homework, and grades come up in your family? Those of you with children. Every day? At least a couple times a week, right? How often does the conversation about Budget and bills and groceries and money and things like that come up at home. Daily? Several times a week, maybe? What about extracurricular activities like sports, music lessons, going to games, going to practices, all that kind of stuff? How often does that come up at home in your conversations? What about talking about watching a game on TV? What about the George Bulldogs or the Atlanta Falcons? What about, uh, uh, you know, going on a vacation coming up? Video games, movies, TV shows. How often do we talk about those things? How often does Jesus come up? How often does sharing your faith with others come up? How often do you talk about the Bible and pray together as a family? Deuteronomy 6 is one of the foundational Bible passages for Jews and for Christians. Jews call it the Shema. And it is the central confession of faith 
for a Jew. And even for us as Christians, it reminds us of the centrality of faith at home. This was our Old Testament reading. I want to read it to you again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, did you catch it? Just as Paul earlier connected, whether you are denying or upholding the faith, is connected with how you provide for your family. Here Moses is connecting how much you believe and live out this confession of faith is connected to how you pass it on to your children and grandchildren. He talks about adorning their bodies with scriptures. If we had the computer up, I had a picture of a young man. I got his picture at the Western Wall, what we call the Wailing Wall. And, and he was probably 15, 16 years old. And he had a prayer shawl over his shoulders. He had a leather cord bound around his left arm. Uh, making the, the, the Hebrew letter Sheen looks kind of like a W on his hand, the left arm being the closest to your heart. He had a little box uh, on his forehead uh, called a phylactery, and inside of it was a copy of this scripture I just read, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. They literally adorn their bodies with scripture. When you're in Jerusalem, you, whether you're going into someone's home or someone's business, you'll see this little uh, container on the door frame. It's called a mezuzah. And inside it, again, is a piece of that scripture. And it reminds them as they go in and out, it reminds them of God's Word. They literally surround their children with God's Word. How do we measure up to that? Moms and dads. You know, for us today, maybe we put some Scripture art up on a wall. Maybe we have memory verses on the refrigerator or the bathroom mirror. Maybe, maybe you've got a screensaver on your computer or TV that has Scripture. There's ways we can surround our children, literally surround them with Scripture. Maybe you play Christian music in the car or at home. Do you allow the Bible, though, to guide your daily decisions? Do you allow God's Word to inform your conversations as a family? Do you talk to Jesus together regularly through prayer? One of the reasons I'm so thankful for our Cornerstone Preschool is that our teachers do that. They surround those kids with Scripture. And their curriculum is Bible-based. And I'm so thankful that those seeds are being planted and nurtured through our preschool. And I'm thankful that our church has the Faith at Home Center. You'll see it in the atrium as you go through to the, uh, to the fellowship hall. And there are resources there for you to use at home to help make regular conversations about God a part of your family. Number four, healthy families serve each other. Mark chapter 9 tells a story. Jesus and the disciples came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So Jesus hears them arguing. He knows what they're arguing about, about which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, who's, who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Now, the idea for us as parents of serving our children can seem a little weird. 
And, and certainly priorities can get way out of whack when children are front and center in the family. Too many households today revolve around the child. And that's not healthy for them. That only increases their natural bent towards selfishness. We don't want our children growing up thinking that it's all about them, do we? Amen? Amen. Right. We don't want that. But one of the ways in which we can curb that bent towards selfishness in our children is by modeling servanthood for them. Like Jesus talked about. Giving them opportunities then to serve others. Moms and dads, this means we've got to serve one another. I tell couples in premarital counseling that if all you're concerned about in the relationship is you having your needs met and you getting your way and your spouse is only concerned about them getting their needs met and having their way, then guess what's going to happen in that relationship? Nobody's needs are going to get met and nobody's going to get their way. You're like, a, you're like two horses pulling in opposite directions. But when you can do what the Bible says and look out for the interests of the other, consider the other as better and more important than you. When you're trying to meet your spouse's needs and your spouse is trying to meet your needs, then you're like a team of horses pulling together in the same direction. And that is a powerful thing. Anything is possible. And that's a powerful witness to your watching children. And as you model service to them, you can help them understand that when you wash their clothes, when you cook their meals, when you tend to them when they're sick, you're serving them and you're doing it out of love. And then help your children focus on how they can serve the family. Maybe help a sibling, share a toy. Maybe they can do something to contribute to the good of the household. This will not only teach them humility and helpfulness, but it instills gratitude and teamwork and a sense of belonging. Healthy families Put God first. Healthy families provide for each other. They talk about their faith regularly. They serve one another. And finally, healthy families are extravagant with grace. Now, grace is one of those concepts that people think they know what it means, but they usually don't. Today, people think that grace and love means that you have to be permissive, that you have to affirm everything everybody, somebody says or does or believes. They think that if you don't celebrate and accept everything about someone, you're being intolerant or hateful. That is such a shallow view of love. I mean, that's a love that doesn't want to rock the boat. That's a love that's only skin deep. That's a love that's more concerned with keeping up appearances than getting to the heart of the matter. But grace... Biblical grace means that when I have no right to expect anything from you, you give me everything. That's grace. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It isn't deserved. Listen, if you deserve it, it ain't grace. It's a reward. But grace is freely given. It's not earned. And no verse in the Bible expresses God's grace more simply than Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't deserve it, Jesus didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to, to get things together, get our ducks in a row. When we were at our worst, when we were rebellious sinners against a holy God, that's when Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And that's the kind of grace, the kind of extravagant, sacrificial, freely given love that healthy families should excel at. 
Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And if we didn't catch it that time, Paul says it again in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And again, let me be clear. Grace does not mean permissiveness. It doesn't mean let your kids get away with murder. It doesn't mean you don't discipline. It does mean you discipline out of love, not anger. It does mean you're not just aiming for their backside. You're aiming for their heart. You're interested more than just behavior modification. You're after heart transformation. You want to disciple them in the ways of Christ. And that means that we have to forgive as well as discipline. That means we have to let go of the past and love extravagantly no matter what. In other words, every member of our family, especially moms and dads, must model God's grace in our relationships. But before you can do that, you know what? You've got to know God's grace. You've got to experience God's grace for yourself. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, before you go putting them on the door frames of the houses and on your heads and your hands and talking about them along the road with your kids, Moses says, before you do all of that, impress them on your heart. Is the Word of God impressed on your heart? Have you come to know the grace of God yourself? Now, those of you who are our preschool families, do you have to teach your preschooler how to lie? Did you have to teach them to be selfish? Did you have to teach them to be disobedient and, 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 or lazy and not want to clean their room? No. Why? Because we're all born sinners. We're all born with that bent to disobey and to be selfish. And that sin separates us from a God who is the source of all life and love. He is holy and we are not. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be that, that perfect sinless sacrifice for us. He came to do what you and I could never do. He came so that you and I who are far from God could come near to God if we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus. Have you done that today? If you have any questions, any doubt, maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you know all this in your head, but you're feeling the Holy Spirit right now convict you that, you know what, I've never really prayed and said, I'm a sinner, God, I need you. Would you forgive me, Jesus, and save me? I want to follow you. Maybe today is the day you can become a part of God's forever family by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. We're going to sing in a moment, and I invite you to come. I'll be standing right here. I would love nothing more than to pray with you to give your life to Jesus Christ if that's what you need to do today. But perhaps you've already done that, but you know that God would have you to unite with this church family, to become a part of the First Baptist family. We'd love to also receive you and talk about that, how you can become a part of our family here at First Baptist. Maybe this morning what God would have you to do is just simply commit to these five foundational principles to help your family be a healthier family. Whatever God's Spirit has said to you, I'll be down here. The altar is open if you want to pray. But most importantly, as we walk out these doors, let's go. Different for having been together in the presence of God. Let's stand together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you are a good, good Father. That you receive us just as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way.
You want to change us. You want to form us into the image of your perfect Son, Jesus. You want to help us to live an abundant life now and an eternal life forever. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know for a fact that that abundant eternal life is theirs, I pray they would come now and settle that issue with you before they leave. If there's some here, Lord, that have been worshiping with us and they know this is where that you would have them to grow and to help their family to grow, Lord, I pray you would lead them to come. But God, I know for all of us, we all need to recommit ourselves to being better mothers and fathers and husbands and wives to help our families truly be more healthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.